as Pastor Judy has said uh, just a few weeks before the election, we embarked on this series called Return, and it was supposed to be a five-part series. We did the first three sermons, and then the last two today and next week. And the encouragement that we get from this book is first to return to God who is a just God, to return to a God who calls us to worship him in truth and in spirit, and also to return to this God in repentance. Today we'll check how to return to God in humility, but also next week we'll talk about how to return to a God who is source of all hope. And if you may remember, we say that this book of Amos is not one of the easiest books, it's not one of the most read books. In any case, it's hard. Sometimes it can even be hard to us as pastors to try to interpret what does it really mean? What is the reason why this is here? But we believe that it's a full counsel of God and it's there to encourage us and to strengthen us in our faith. And so it's a very, very important book as well. But also the reason why it's hard to many is because it doesn't have the message of hope, sort of. You get the nine chapters, we see a message of hope coming at the end. All through nine chapters, it is about judgment and how God seems to be angry. And sometimes you may think that his anger is not justified, but it's true as we have been reading, that actually God was um, justified to be angry with his people, with his very own people. Initially, we looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let me just take you through that because I believe that many of you could not, could not remember. You know, and actually, after we did the three parts, the first three parts, I was waiting for many of you to tell me, when are we going back to the return series? I, 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 I am happy to report that none of you has asked that we return back to it. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Until just recently when one of my colleagues, you know, said, we need to go back to the book of Amos. And I was so encouraged, you know. But I was afraid. Will it make sense? After three, nearly three months, you know, will it make sense? And all that. And I was encouraged. You know, they said, you know, Murife, don't run. You know, come, just do it. Murife, don't run. You know, do it. You get, and so we are back to it today, chapter 7, and then next week we look at chapter 8 and chapter 9 and bring the book to a close. But we started in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw how God encourages those who have faced injustices of any kind. That God always sees, and God is the one who repays. God is the one who heals. God is the one who restores if you have ever faced any kind of injustice. But also he saw in those two chapters that God exposes sin. If we have anything that is hidden in our lives, God will expose it. He exposes he exposed that when his children, the people of God, have committed some injustices and even the enemies of the people of God. When they have done that, God exposes. In chapter 3 and 4 quickly, we read how God was still reaching out to his children who are estranged from him who do not want anything to do with him, who are oppressing their, their, their own, their brothers and their sisters. They are oppressing them. They are burdening them with taxes. And we saw how God is still reaching out to them. And we saw how the children of Israel had committed these heinous acts to the extent that God had to call witnesses from the pagan world you know, to come and see how Israel was conducting its affairs and it was not pleasing to God at all. But we say that God is so loving and gracious 
and he was still pleading with them to and reminding them of how faithful he has been in the past. But his compassionate uh, appeal and plea fell on deaf ears. And we saw in chapter 4 where it ends with God saying, in chapter 4 verse 12, prepare to meet your God. And we learned that one day, equally even for us, we all shall meet our God, the one who created us. And we shall meet our God in two ways. One, as willing servants, or defeated rebels. As the Bible says, that every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So maybe the question today for you is, how are you prepared actually to meet your God? Do you think you meet your God as a defeated rebel? You never lived for him? You never pleased him? Or shall you meet him as a servant? The one who shall receive that ultimate praise. Welcome home. Well done. You good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. The book of Romans says that we became co-heirs with Christ. And later Paul says, this being co-heirs with Christ, you know, it's something that no ear has ever had, no eye has ever seen, no heart has ever conceived what is before us or what is before those who are in a loving relationship with Christ. And I want to remind you, friends, that there is nothing, there is no moment that we spend in the, in the service of God that goes wasted. Many times we can give up. God, you are not remembering me. And yet I am in your sanctuary day and night. I want to encourage you, friends, that there is no moment that you spend in the presence of God, whether in prayers or whether in serving him, whether it's in volunteering, when you stand here to sing, when you facilitate those regroups, teaching their Sunday school or our youth or any kind of service towards God, opening your house to strangers, giving of your time and resources to help others know and love God more. There is nothing that goes to waste. God takes notes of that. And David knew this very, very well when he said that I have been, I have been young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or even their children begging for bread. That God is no man's debtor. In chapter 5, we saw how God hated their worship because it was not sincere. It was mixed with the worship of other gods at Bethel. And we say that God hates spiritual polygamy. He must be worshipped. Him alone. He must be worshipped to the exclusion of anything and everything else. That a divided devotion drops God of his own glory. And he has said in his word, I share my glory with no one. Today we camp at Amos chapter 7. And so if you may please stand with me there for our visitors. We've been teaching our 
members here to find the book of Amos. Uh, it is in the Old Testament. Uh, and if you look at the content page, you find book number 30, you will find that that's where the book of Amos is. And so please go with me there and you shall check what the Lord has in store for us today. In Amos chapter 7, verse 1, this is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarm of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. And just as the second crop was coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. Verse 4. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either. The Sovereign Lord said. We can stop there for a moment. As we have read in the past, this book is about a prophecy. From chapter 1 to chapter 6, God is telling Amos what to say and the pending judgment that is to come. He warns them, judgment is coming, return to the Lord. But they never heeded to that call. And so from chapter 7, or in chapter 7, the genre changes from prophecy now to a vision. God is no longer telling Amos to say what will happen. God is now showing Amos what he will do. And he does this in, uh, in, in visions. He brings to him four visions that I want us just to quickly check what that means. And I want to remind you that God now has changed his mode of delivery. And he's telling Amos that now see what is going to happen. The judgment that is near and in this chapter, one of the things that I want us to see is the humility of Amos, who is later contrasted by someone else that we'll see called Amaziah. And when you read verse 1, something tells you that the first harvest to the northern kingdom, the children of Israel, who had forgotten about God, the first harvest, initially God had told them when they were together that, you know, that bring to me the first fruits of your fields. But in this case we see that now the first harvest was a preserve of the king. And the king had taken now the place of God. King Jeroboam too had taken the place of God. And when they have given their first crop to the king, then at that moment when they were just waiting for the second crop, God will release the, the, the judgment through locusts and everything will be wiped out and wiped away. And this tells you that if they don't heed to God's call, they are going to become destitute in this place. That God is going to bring an economic devastation to the land. And in the second one, in the second vision, God showed Amos that he's going to bring judgment through fire that will devour and dry up the land. 
a picture of severe repercussion to those who do not want to heed to God's call. That he's going to bring supernatural events and devastations to the land because they have not had his plea, return to me, says the Lord. But in this case, or in both cases, there's a prayer that Amos makes. A very simple and direct prayer that Amos makes. So as the children of Israel were enjoying the goodies of the land that they, have, they had gotten from corruption, oppressing others, killing others, taking the poor for granted, buying the slaves and buying the poor with the price of the sandals, as they were enjoying all these plunders, and God was about to release his judgment, there was a man who was praying and interceding for them. Amos, unknown to the children of Israel, was battling in prayer and asking God, God, may you withhold your judgment. Jacob or Israel is so small. Preserve them. And Amos in humility was praying for his arrogant and dismissive brothers who never wanted to hear anything about God. Amos' heart was bending with humility towards God, interceding on behalf of the children of Israel who were coiling in their pride. And we see that his humility is seen in this intercession that he makes. And I want to remind you that one, that humility is an outcome of intercession. There is no way that you can be praying for someone or praying for people and you are not going to be humble. When we intercede on behalf of other people, the outcome of that, the expected outcome, is that God will do something in your heart and you become humble before God and before the people. That does not mean that you hide the truth. No. But we just acknowledge that without God, these people will not exist. Without God, even you yourself will not exist. Humility does not have its eyes on self, but rather on God and the well-being of others. That you can't think well of others unless you pray and you intercede for them. Perhaps you could be struggling in one way or another. Especially my good friends who struggle with temper. You know, they tell me that my temper is quite hot and comes in quick succession. One of the things that you need to do is to intercede on behalf of the person who annoys you. And you learn that you will be so humble before the Lord and before them. And God will start doing something in your heart. Recently when the, our new president you know, was, was granted the certificate, he said something there that he was prayed into victory. I believe that many of you who are seated here today, that you are sitting here because someone, somewhere, prayed for you that when the word of God comes to you, that indeed it will have that transforming power and you'll be able to love God and to know God. That person may be your parents, your friends, your spouse, your children, your brother or your sister, and never forget about that. And perhaps I also want to encourage you today 
that if you're here and you're praying for someone to come into the light of salvation and God to meet them and to change their hearts, do not give up. Because God hears and God answers as he did during the time of Amos. In these two visions, we see that God was showing Amos how he will be able to leverage his power and justly judge the children of Israel. But in both cases, Amos humbles himself. No self-praise, no excuses, no demands, no arguments. He admits how weak Israel is and he pleads for the masses of God. Friends, true humility is knowing our need for God's masses. That Jacob was so small. Let me take a break there and just, you know, we look at the wordplay there. And which is very, very significant because you may remember that Jacob was the lastborn. And the firstborn was Esau. But something happened and you know the story very well. And Jacob got the birthright and the blessings of a firstborn. So whatever blessings he received, that they were not his or he was not supposed to get it, were God not on his side. God says there, or Amos says there, sorry, that Jacob is so, so small. Everything that Jacob has, he never deserved it, were it not by the gracious, providing hand of God, that all odds were against him. But God has seen it fit to bless him and to bless his generations. So Moses, I mean, Amos says that this Jacob, this tribe of Israel, it can't withstand God's judgment. And this is something that the children of Israel were not aware that there was someone who was in the trenches praying and interceding for them. Let's look at the third vision there that we find from chapter 7, verse 7. It says this, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. God uses the image of a simple construction gadget, the one that shows how straight a wall is vertically against the, gra uh, the, the gravity. And his, first he shows Amos, in verse 7, the Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And God here, I think, was saying, I am a righteous God. I am a true God. I am perfect. I am noble. There is no error in me. But at the same time, when Amos was shown this vision, and God was placing that plumb line 
against the children of Israel, no one could be able to withstand. Every, everyone or everything was crooked because God's measure of truth is different from ours. He is the source of all truth. Sometimes he says that truth is relative. It depends on how I interpret it or how I see it. But we always need to know that the only measure of truth is God's word and what God, God says in his word. But many times we go off their plumb line. Sometimes we take the wrong direction. We need to ask God, where are you leading us? Am I in the right track? Some friends one time organized a trip to go to Mombasa to enjoy a holiday there. And so they hired this van and they were a group of couples. And some of them were from this church. And they said, we are, want to go to Mombasa and enjoy. Then there wasn't this GR. So they said, we are going to go at night so that when we wake up in the morning, we will be able to see the sunlight. Indian Ocean there, we will be able to enjoy the breeze and the waves in the morning. And so they made the trip. And way into the night, they stopped at Mutito Andei, which is like the midpoint between Nairobi and Mombasa. You know, that's where you, you're saying Kwaheri to Bara, and you are looking forward to what is before you in the coastal region. So you can see the food there is a, bit, a little bit mixed. And so they said, let's enjoy here. And then we are going to, so that we can continue with our journey. They reverse parked, and so they enjoy the food, they enjoy the time there, and then they said that it's time to continue with our journey. They got into the cars, they went, and they started saying, you know, now even the heat, the temperatures of Mombasa, now it's increasing. Please lower your windows so that we may continue enjoying this breeze early in the morning. They thought that they were at Mariakani until one noticed that actually they are in Kitengela, at the river. <laughs> what had happened is that when they reverse parked, the guy who was driving was lost direction, spatial disorientation. And instead of taking a right, he took a left and they started seeing themselves in the river. You get? They had missed the point. They had missed directions. They were so angry and mad. They had spent fuel and so they thought, now what can we do? They just went to Naivasha. <laughs> Sometimes in our Christian walk, we need to keep short accounts. Where am I at? You need to ask your spouse or your children or those who are close to you, where are we at? So that one time you don't discover that you have misdirection and you are going to the wrong direction and it takes you a lot of time and a lot, a lot of energy to go back to your destination. If God were to put a plumb line in your marriage, what will he find? If God were to put a plumb line in your gifts and the things that God has blessed you with, will he be pleased? Or he will say that the gifts that I placed in your life and I gave you, they are off the mark. And you know when a building is warped and not straight, what happens? 
in your singlehood, if God was to put a plumb line there, what will he see? In your parenting and your conduct, private or public, if God were to place a plumb line, what will he find? Anyway, our brother Amos, when he was interceding for the people of Israel, he didn't appeal to their credentials, he just appealed to God. And many times, even if we are off the mark, when God gives us the reality of where we are at, we need to humbly ask him to forgive us, but we aim or we change our ways and aim to the direction that he was initially leading us. And he does that by transforming us, by renewing our minds. Friends, God is in the business of restoration. When you come to your senses, turn back to God. Like the prodigal son, and he's willing and able and ready to embrace you again. And you no longer become the slave. You become the son of God. But one of the things that you see that will interest you is that in the first two visions, when Amos was able to see what will happen to the children of Israel, he interceded. But the third one, he doesn't intercede. It is not recorded what Amos said. I think Amos was able to see, God, you are justified to punish the people of Israel. I can no longer intercede for them. I have done the first one, the second one, the third one. Mm -mm. God, you are justified. I have nothing to say. Because you, we also get tired and we grow weary in praying and interceding and being there hoping for some change. Because anyway, we are human beings. But he keeps silent under the judgment of God and he notices that God indeed is such a righteous God and he's justified to punish the children of Israel for they were off the mark. But soon after this intercession, in verse 10, Amos gets out, perhaps it's a new day, and he meets someone there, our friend called Amaziah. In verse 10 it says, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam king of Israel. Amos is rising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah and earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Friends, I want you to see that Amaziah doesn't take kindly the words that Amos was bringing from the Lord. And he accuses him of raising a conspiracy against the king. Amaziah, the priest, the one who is supposed to shepherd the people of God, the one who is supposed to pastor the people of God and to show them the right spiritual direction, doesn't even want to hear the word of God. He's such an ungodly priest that the word of God does not taste good to him. It's no longer good. He would rather protect the king 
rather than adhere to what God desires and lead his people in that way. Friends, I want you to see the spiritual meltdown that was there in the land of Israel that even the priests themselves never wanted to hear the word of God. Instead, he says that, you know what? You live here. would rather serve the political authority than serve the almighty God. Our allegiance is not towards God, it's towards the king, Jeroboam. And he feared the king being dethroned more than the, than the Lord being enthroned, being high, his name being lifted up high, and people seeing his glory. He would rather have King Jeroboam lifted up high instead of God. Maybe today the question to ask is, who is your king? Who is taking the place of God? Who do you serve? Who have you placed in the place of God? Who would you rather please? Is it your boss or spouse or children? At the cost of pleasing God, who has given you all those gifts and you remain accountable to him? Anyway, as you reflect, it goes south from there. Amaziah says to Amos, you know, just go away. The land cannot bear all his, you know, all your words here. Go and earn your bread somewhere else, not here. So even you can see the mindset, the financial mindset that was there in the mind of this guy called Amaziah. And we see, first we see, we have seen the humility of Amos. Now we see the pride of Amaziah. And one of the ways of knowing what pride is, you know, pride hates conviction. You don't want to be told the truth. Or sometimes when you realize that someone else knows some truth that you are, you are not aware of, it itches you, it eats you. And you feel like you must have a rebuttal on that. I must repay. And it happened to me once. You know, when my wife, we were coming from town, we were newly married, and my wife, I didn't know about the EFT, electronic fund transfer and all that, and she was trying to describe to me how EFT works, and I felt, mm, why don't I, how, how come I do not know about EFT? I considered myself bright at that time. Now I don't. And I started, you know, looking for how can I overcome this so that I may feel also that I'm very, very bright. And I started bringing stories about how the continent, South America, the things that happen there, and the people who sell drugs, and what is happening in Argentina, and all those countries. My wife wasn't interested in that. Pride hates conviction. A proud man hates all that suggests that things are not right. When you ask your spouse or you tell them things are not right and they do not want to sit down and you address those things, pride is lacking around. The antidote to that is to humble yourself and ask God, God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? Transform me and renew my mind and my heart again. It's you admitting that the way you are living now is not right and asking God to change and to transform you. Amaziah doesn't like the correction that comes from Amos as much as Amos was coming to correct them so that they may be able to experience the full joy of God. Amaziah doesn't like that. And I do not know when, what you do when the Lord gives you a chance to change. 
a chance to transform. Maybe it's through reconciliation, perhaps, with either your spouse, your family members, your siblings, or even with a friend. When God gives you a chance to reconcile with them, what do you do? Do you run away or do you take the full advantage of it? Do you take that opportunity? Because many of us have missed great opportunities of reconciling our relationship with God because we have always ran away from him, because we do not want to hear what he's telling us. Amos tells, in verse 14, he tells this guy, in verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig, fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then hear the word of the Lord, you say. Now hear the word of the Lord, you say. And he repeats what Amaziah has just said. Amos is saying that, you know what, I'm just a farmer, a shepherd from Tekoa. If you think that I called myself into this, no, God called me into it. And sometimes when we answer to the call of God, the call of God doesn't come easy at times. Sometimes I feel pity for the people that we call regroup leaders. The ones that, you know, sometimes here and there. We don't say when you are coming or something like that or you even don't show up. Because there is no one actually who has ever applied here saying, I want to become a regroup leader. But we see them and we pray that God will warm their hearts so that they may take that spiritual leadership of you guys in your small communities. Even pastors, not many who wanted to become pastors. Because sometimes it is a hard task. Be gracious to those who have answered to a spiritual call or responsibility. Be gracious to them. Pray for them. Always pray for those who have assumed any role of spiritual authority over your life. Pray for them that they remain focused on what God is doing. That no matter the challenges that come, that they remain steadfast and focus so that no one loses their way because of their conduct or their behavior. But anyway, because of Amaziah's refusal to heed to God's word, he caused judgment unto himself, and we see that in verse 17. Verse 17, Amos says, Therefore this is what the Lord says, Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you, yourself, will die in a pagan country, and Israel will certainly go into exile, away from their native land. All the chapters actually of the book of Amos, they do not went well. God proposes a way out. They don't take it. God pronounces a judgment. But all along he has withheld many judgments. But Amaziah, who wanted to bring indignity to the name of God, he himself, he said that you will taste that. You wanted to mad my name? You will see what will happen to you. And the spouse become a prostitute. And you, you wanted the worship of God to die in the land of Israel? You will taste death. Your children will die by the sword. And you yourself will die in a foreign land. Amaziah has called judgment on himself because he was proud and he never listened to the word of God. Friends, there is no one who has ever successfully resisted God. We need to run to God. But as I was reflecting on these two characters here, 
Sometimes I feel like we are a Messiah. We have refused to be on God's side. We have refused his word. Actually, John says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. Many times we have ran away from God's word. We do not want to be convicted by the truth of God's word. And were it not for Christ, all this judgment that has come to Amaziah, death and destruction and despair, all that was meant to be on us. But we have an intercessor. Amos would only intercess two times. The third time he gave up. But the word of God tells us that we have one who is perfect, always interceding for you and me. He never grows tired of interceding on our behalf. But the punishment that was meant for us, for we were alienated from God, and what was for us was judgment, was death, was destruction. He stood in our place. When Amos, you know, has seen that this judgment is justified, for us Christ came and stood in that gap. And his body was torn apart. And it was undignified because of you and me on our part. The punishment that was for us, Christ took that. His body was torn apart, but later he died. And Paul writes and says in the book of Romans chapter 8, that he was raised from the dead and now is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Even when we have ran away from God, when we feel like our lives are so messed up, we need to remember there is one who took our shame and one who is interceding for us so that we may be able to stand before our Lord righteous and perfect, not because of our own account, but because of the account of one who came and died in our place. And the one who was punished instead of us. Friends, Hebrews, I love what Hebrews says in chapter 7, verse 25, that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always intercedes. Amos would only intercede for a moment, but we have a Savior who is always interceding for us. What is making you not to come back to him? What is making you to run away from God? What is that? And if one time we refuse this God, the punishment that was meant for Messiah, that will be for you as well. When you do not acknowledge and heed to God's word, that punishment is equally for you. I pray that we run to God, that we return to God in humility, that we check the areas in our lives where we need to change, where we need forgiveness, where we need reconciliation, and where we need to trust him more. For that is where our faith and our assurance and our hope is anchored. I pray that we run back to God in humility. May the Lord bless you and keep you.